Because through this series, we're trying to portray a complete picture for you of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, we're trying to see Jesus in all his various traits. So our theme verse for the series is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And it's on the screen, chosen to do it out of the message paraphrase. I love how this lays it out for us. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. And so that's our strategy in this series. Keep it plain and simple, Jesus and who he is, Jesus and what he did. And today we're going to see Jesus as man. And the reason you need to see Jesus as man is to help you understand that he understands. Uh, the fact that Jesus understands is demonstrated for us in Jesus' names. Uh, he had a, a, a given name. Uh, Matthew 121, uh, the angel Gabriel is talking to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and he says, she, Mary, Jesus' mother, she will give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so the baby is supposed to be named Jesus, because he, Jesus means Savior, and he's going to save his people from their sins. But two verses later, he's given another name. And the angel this time is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So why does Jesus need more than one name? Because he's going to do more than save his people from their sins. When, when the angel announced this, when Isaiah wrote it hundreds of years before, uh, the, his name's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. They're announcing this is something new. This is a new direction. Because with the coming of this child, no longer are they worshiping a God who presents himself in the temple as a box with the Ten Commandments in it. You no longer is he this faceless God sitting up in heaven a million miles away from everybody. No, 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 no. This is God with us. This is God with skin on. Now, a lot of us call him by his given name, Jesus, and that's great because you need to recognize the one that can save you from your sin. But too many Christians have never known him as Emmanuel. They've never known him as the God who is up close and personal. They've never known him as God with us. Theologians refer to Jesus as God-man. And you've got to see both sides of this. You've got to see him as God. We talked about that last week. But you've also got to see Jesus as man in order to have a complete picture. John says it this way in his gospel. He says, the word became flesh, circle that word flesh, and made his dwelling among us. The Word, what does that mean? Well, we had this message from God written on these stone tablets. We had this law from God written on these scrolls. We had all these rules, regulations, rituals, commands, and instructions. We had the Word of God. But with Jesus, 
with Emmanuel, all of that became flesh. It all became real. It became alive in a person. A person right here on earth in the midst of us. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's important because Jesus didn't just come to preach on a hillside, lay out some instructions for us, and then die on a cross. He, he, he had so much more to offer us than that. So much more, in fact, that he spent the vast majority of his life not even doing that. I mean, he didn't start doing the side of Jesus that most of us see until he was 30 years old. And then he only spent three years doing it. You know, from birth to 30 years old, Jesus spent his life doing something much, much different. What? He was experiencing the life that you and I know and live. You know, Jesus didn't heal anybody during that time. He didn't perform any miracles during that time. He didn't preach any sermons during that time. First miracle he ever did was the miracle at Cana when he was 30 years old and turned water into wine at a wedding. So up to that point, he didn't exercise his miracle-working power. For the first 30 years of his life, he was just being a human. He was just experiencing life. In fact, Jesus spent most of his life as a carpenter. I mean, that was his earthly father, Joseph's profession. And at the age of 12, tradition would, would say that, you know, now you're a man, you're 12 years old, you need to get a skill, you need to become an apprentice, you need to be trained in something. And Jesus evidently was trained in the carpenter shop, and he worked there from age 12 to age 30, building things, dealing with customers. Before he ever taught anything, before he ever healed anybody, before he ever died on the cross. Hebrews 2.17 says that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Why? Because one day Jesus was going to take his rightful place seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is right now. He's in heaven, seated on a throne at the right hand of the Father. But before he sat down at that throne, he needed to go through every detail of human life. So that when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing. And we would be able to help where help was needed. Long before the universe was created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead sat down and decided that Jesus the Son was going to come to earth as a human being and that he was going to experience life as a human and then he was going to lay down his life to pay the penalty for everybody's sin. And he was going to do that so he could help you when you struggled in your life. He understands. But so many people, even believers, don't see Jesus that way. They see Jesus as their Savior dying on the cross. They see Jesus as their Lord and King seated on a throne in heaven. But they don't see him as Emmanuel, God with us. A man who understands what you're going through. If you want to sympathize with someone going through a tough time, the effectiveness of your sympathy and comfort increases to the degree that you've experienced the same thing that they've experienced. 
I mean, you've seen that in your own, in your own life. If, if you're going to someone who has cancer, but you've never had cancer, you can tell them, I am so sorry, I really feel for you. But the truth is, you don't know what they're going through because you haven't experienced it. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't any value in your words of comfort. There is value, and you need to extend them, and you need to seek to comfort. But if you've gone through chemo and radiation, if you've lost your hair, if you've experienced the nausea and the exhaustion that go with that, the level of the effectiveness of your comfort skyrockets because you've experienced what they've experienced. I had that happen to me. You know, I had a heart surgery last summer. And, you know, I'll tell people about that. Honestly, it's the most horrible thing I've ever been through in all my life. And I remember I was talking to a guy one time about it, and all of a sudden his eyes started to tear up, and he unbuttoned his shirt and showed me the scar. And I knew he gets it. He gets it. Everybody else feels bad about it. He gets it. That's true with Jesus. He gets it. He understands what you're going through because he's been there. There's nothing in your life that you have gone through or will go through that Jesus has not experienced firsthand. That's what he was doing the first 30 years of his life before he ever taught, ever preached, ever did a miracle, ever died. He was just living life, going through stuff. And so I hope you will understand first that he understands relationships. Jesus understands relationships because Jesus had a family. He had a family. Look at this, Mark chapter 6. Jesus has just started teaching. He's teaching in his, in his hometown, and he's getting some pushback. And the pushback comes from, from people who say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? You all know about Mary. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, you know those guys, aren't his sisters here with us? And the only place in Scripture where we get the names of Jesus' half-brothers, because God was Jesus' father, Mary was his mother, Joseph was the father of these guys, and Mary was their mother. And so Jesus grew up in a blended family with four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters because sisters is plural, and we don't know how many it was, but we know it was at least two. And anybody who has brothers and sisters, especially six of them, knows that there was relationship drama and trauma going on in that household all the time. I mean, at some point, Jesus was duct-taped to a chair. At some point, at dinner, one of those brothers said something that made Jesus laugh so hard, goat's milk came out his nose. I mean, you just know. There were fights and spats and teasing and tears. Jesus understands the dynamic of a family, the dynamic of a large family, the dynamic of a blended family. He understands relationships. Those of you who are single, Jesus knows what it's like to be a single adult. You know, we're, we're going to read in a moment that he was tempted at all points. You know, he didn't experience everything to the degree that he sinned, but he experienced the temptation and, and the emotion and the feelings of it. And Jesus knows what it's like to be attracted to the opposite sex and have to restrain yourself. 
He knows what it's like to be single. And some of you are thinking, yeah, well, he doesn't know what it's like to be married. Okay? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And so not only does Jesus know what it's like to be married, he even knows what it's like to be married to a spouse who is unfaithful to him. He's experienced that. Jesus knows what it's like to have friends who betray him and deny him. At the crucial moment in his life when he needed his friends the most, his best friend, Peter, said, I don't know the guy, never even heard of him. Jesus knows what that feels like. Why why did all that happen? Did it happen just to create more drama in Scripture? No, it happened for a purpose. It happened because Jesus wanted to understand what you go through, and he wanted you to know that he understands. The Bible even describes the time that his brothers and sisters thought Jesus was out of his mind. He started saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God. Mark chapter 3, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. They wanted to take charge of him because they thought he was insane. You know, the family dynamics that Jesus experienced, really they're amazing. Because his brother James here, who thought Jesus was insane, after seeing the resurrection, believed Jesus was who he said he was, and became the key leader in the church in Jerusalem, and was martyred because of his belief in who Jesus was. Jesus understands the ups and downs of family relationships. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a parent in death. Because he knows what it's like to lose your father because that's what happened to him. I mean, think about this. In, in the Christmas story at Jesus' birth, it's Mary and Joseph. When they, the flight into Egypt and the exile there, it's Mary and Joseph. When they come back, because it's safe to come back, it's Mary and Joseph. When he's 12 years old and he's teaching in the temple, it's Mary and Joseph. At age 30, when he performs his first miracle at the wedding at Cana, it's Mary. Joseph's never heard from again. He's never part of the story. So Jesus may have lost his earthly father as early as a young teenager. He may know what it's like to grow up in a home with a single mom and lots of brothers and sisters. He knows what it's like to be the oldest and to have to assume responsibility for providing for a large family. He he knew what it was like to lose his father in death. And so if you've lost a loved one, Jesus gets that because it happened to him. He understands life. Jesus understands what you go through on Monday morning when you have to get up, get dressed, and go back to work because Jesus had a job. One of the things that bothers me about religion and and church tradition is how far we can wander away from the reality of who Jesus was. I mean, we, we portray him as, as this almost creepy spiritual character. I, I rarely like to watch movies about Jesus because the actors always act so weird. I mean, it's just... Now, I actually got saved in, in an art history class in a community college. It was the paintings and sculptures of Jesus that prompted me to respond to the gospel. 
But honestly, so many of the paintings and renderings of Jesus are just plain weird and spooky. You know, that, that's why I love the picture. That's why we picked the picture we've got in the lobby, because it shows Jesus as just a guy smiling. I mean, Jesus spent the majority of his life as a carpenter. He spent more time as a carpenter than doing anything else. You know, he most likely started working in the carpenter shop when he turned 12. He worked there until he was 30. For 18 years, he was a carpenter. That's six times longer than he was involved in ministry because he only did that for three years. So wouldn't it make more sense in our images of Jesus rather than picturing him with this gleaming Miss Clairol hair and a well-trimmed beard and this uh, bright white bleached robe with a colored sash, I mean, wouldn't it make more sense just to picture him in jeans, a t-shirt, and a tool belt? I mean, he's a carpenter. I mean, he's got calluses and blisters on his hands. His left thumb probably is black and blue from being smashed with a hammer. He's got cuts and splinters. I mean, people think he's some kind of mealy-mouthed pansy who talks about flowers and birds all day. That Jesus was tough. You know, he was a carpenter. He didn't have a nail gun. He didn't have power tools. Everything he did, he did by hand out of his own strength. He knows what it's like to sweat and work. He knows what it's like to whack yourself in the shin with a board. He knows what it's like to scrape your knees raw on a, while you're doing a project. He knows what it's like to deal with upset customers, with people who didn't pay him for his work, people who changed their mind and wanted him to redo it all over again, people who were in a hurry and didn't want to wait for him. He knows what it's like to pay taxes in a depressed economy. Everything you go through every day as you try to run your business, Jesus understands that. Why? It's on purpose. So that you would know that he understands your life. And it's just as important as the preaching, the teaching, the miracles, the healing, and the dying. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from that. In fact, in this series, we're going to see Jesus as the teacher, Jesus as the miracle worker, Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. Not taking anything away from that. But I also refuse to diminish Jesus as man. I mean, he had skin on. He had calluses, blisters, splinters, sweat on his brow. He got up early. He worked hard. He was God in flesh living among us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. If you can begin to see Jesus as man, you'll begin to believe he really understands. And when you begin to believe he really understands, you will talk to him differently. You will treat him differently. You will love him differently. You will worship him differently. Everything changes when you see Jesus as man. Third thing Jesus understands, he understands pain. And some of you are here today in pain. Not just physical pain. I mean, probably the worst pain there is isn't physical pain. It's the emotional pain. And notice in Isaiah 53, you just need to read Isaiah 53, what it says about Jesus and, and how people responded to him. I mean, this guy gets your hurt. He was despised and rejected by men. 
a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Circle that phrase, familiar with suffering. Long before the crucifixion began, Jesus was experiencing excruciating emotional pain. Probably started on the playground as a young kid. I mean, the other kids, you know, they knew his story. And they'd probably whisper, you know, that's him. His mama wasn't even married. And there's a word for that. They probably called him that. He was despised and rejected by men. And I just want every one of us in this room that's been despised and rejected by our peers. I mean, you're not quite athletic enough to be invited on any team. You're not smart enough to receive any honors. You're not pretty enough or cool enough to be accepted into the group. Jesus understands that. Because he was despised and rejected by men. It says Jesus was a man of sorrows. You know what that means? It means he cried himself to sleep at night says he's familiar with suffering. It means he didn't just suffer once. He was familiar with it. And so the next time you go through that, you can know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And that's just the emotional suffering. And then, and then there's the whole crucifixion process and the physical pain. I mean, crucifixion is the worst death that a person can experience of all the times in history for Jesus to choose to be executed. You know, he could have chosen any time. I mean, he and the Father are in charge of this. They could have chosen any method of execution uh, at all. But he chose crucifixion. I mean, he could have chosen to be executed in 2017 when we do it with lethal injection. He could have chosen to do it, you know, decades ago when they did it by electrocution or before that by the gas chamber or in the early part of this century when they did it by firing squad or in the 1800s when they mercifully hung you quickly or in the 1700s when the French had perfected the guillotine. But no, he didn't do that. Jesus looked down through history and said, I'm going to die right there. I'm going to die in the worst possible way. I'm going to die when they whip the skin off of you and nail you to boards and leave you to hang and suffocate to death. That's when I'm going to die. Because I want these people to know that I know what it's like to suffer. I want people to know what their sin cost. And that's when he chose to die. And the next time you go through physical pain, you can know that Jesus, there's not a pain you can go through that Jesus hasn't experienced, that he does not understand, emotional or physical. He's not this faceless, emotionless, judgmental God up in heaven who's frustrated because you can't get life right. No, he understands your pain. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You know what that means? That means Jesus is qualified to be my best friend. Because if there is anybody who can walk through my suffering and pain, through my testing and trial, if there's anybody who can walk through that with me, it's Jesus. Man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that friend is Jesus Christ. 
So what do you do in response to seeing Jesus as man? Three things you need to do in response. One is you need to make Jesus your best friend. You, and you Facebook people will get this. You, I'm asking you today to change your relationship status with Jesus. I'm asking you to change your relationship status. You know, some, some of you only know him as, as this faceless God up in heaven, and you stop by on Sunday and give him a nod, a wink, and a glance in worship. And you need to change your relationship status from passing acquaintance to BFF. You need to trust him, make him your best friend. And you need to be clear about this because this is what heaven will be determined by. Jesus himself said there will be multitudes of people who only knew him as a passing acquaintance, who only knew him in some sort of religious relationship. Matthew 7, 21. It's not on your outline. You'll have to write, write this down and look it up later. But seven, uh, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Didn't we do all the religious stuff? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus does not want to just be your Sunday God. He wants to be your best friend. It's crucial. And that's the goal of this message, to get you to change your relationship with him. That you would not just know him as Jesus, but that you would see him as Emmanuel, God with us, up close and personal. And a lot of, a lot of people don't think of Jesus as a friend, but he thinks of you that way. John 15, 15. <clears throat> I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. He says, you're not some pawn or a puppet in this master plan that we designed years ago. He says, you're not, you're not a servant. I mean, he already has servants. He's got angels serving him day and night. No, he wants you to be his friend. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Second thing. If Jesus understands relationships, if he understands life, if he understands pain, then you need to talk to him. Talk to him. And some of you need to stop talking to him so formally. Okay? Now I lay me down to sleep. He's already heard that one. Okay? He's already heard it. He says, talk to me. You know, we're speaking to him formally like he's this distant, faceless God. Prayer is not to be an event. Prayer is to be a conversation. And, and you can't do that if prayer is an event. It's got to become part of your lifestyle. Jesus wants you to talk to him about what's going on in your life. Day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision. Why? You know what Jesus is doing right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. 
The Bible says he is mediating between you and God. That means that when you talk to Jesus, he talks to God about you. That's what he's doing. And God and Jesus, they look down and they see you struggling in an area of life. And Jesus says, Father, I remember that. That's hard. I've been through that. That's tough. They're in a tough spot. They need our grace. They need our help. Because I remember that. And you stumble and sin. And Jesus says, you know, Father, I already paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. So if she'll confess it, we can clean her up, we can restore her, and we can get her back on track. Because I paid for that sin. And the devil shows up in your life, and he's tempting, and he's accusing you of sin, and Jesus Christ steps in and intercedes on your behalf. He goes, hey, no, 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 that one's mine. That one's mine. The rest of them, you know, they haven't trusted me yet, but that one's mine. You back off. I mean, Jesus steps in and intercedes on you. Look, there is a spiritual war going on for your life. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, it is a spiritual war. It is a battle for where you're going to spend eternity. Are you going to spend it in heaven or are you going to spend it in hell? And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the battle's not over. It just shifts. It becomes a battle over are you going to glorify God with your life or are you going to receive rewards? Because the devil wants to step in and rob you of your reward and cheat God out of his glory. And that's what happens in this battle, in this struggle. And, and study it, look it up, Google it. The key to winning any battle is communication. Communication. The people in the battle have got to talk to one another. They have got to communicate if they're going to win it. You talk to Jesus, Jesus talks to God, God speaks to you through his word. Hebrews 4 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, when you talk to Jesus, you don't get judgment. You get somebody who understands what you're going through. You get mercy and grace and help. And who doesn't need mercy, grace, and help? Talk to him. Third thing you need to do is trust Him with your life. You know, we, we've read it, we've studied it, we've learned it, it's time to apply it. And some of you today, you, you, you know Him as Jesus, you know the religious side, but you've never known Him as friend. You've never known Him as Emmanuel, as God with us, God in the flesh, among us. But Jesus doesn't just want to be your God. Now, yes, you need to see him as God. He's worthy of your awe, your respect, your reverence, your worship, even your healthy fear. But that's not all. I mean, he's God, but he's also man. He wants to be your friend. And he's already made the first move. You just need to trust him with your life. John 1 says, but to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done to secure your salvation, to provide a place for you in heaven, to bring you into God's family. He's already done all of that. 
It's your move. It's your move. You need to trust Him. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him, and He will help you. Let's pray together. Maybe, maybe this is the day you need to make that dynamic relationship change with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Him. Maybe you're a, a believer who's grown distant from the Lord. Wherever you are today, this moment, you make the choice, you make the commitment to enter into a close relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is longing longing for you to be his friend. And so in this moment, I, I invite you just to pray in the quietness of your own heart and mind. Just say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying the penalty for my sins. And I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I see you as my God. And also today, I want to trust you as my friend. Emmanuel, come into my life. Talk with me. Walk with me. Guide me. Lead me. Be my friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.